Blog Talk Radio. Live from downtown Janesville, Wisconsin on Janesville Community Radio, we are at 321 East Milwaukee Street at the My Office JVL Home, a mother studio for uh, the aforementioned Janesville Community Radio. Tonight's show is Being Christ in the City with Ray Jewell. Ray's guest tonight is Michael Powers, youth pastor at Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin, finishing up, uh, kind enough to come back, had some technical difficulties last week. And he has been kind enough to come back and uh, finish up some of the conversation from last week. And in just a couple of minutes, we will be right back with Ray Jewell and Michael Powers. Janesville Community Radio being Christ in the City with Ray Jewell. Be right back. The following program is a production of Janesville Community Radio, Inc. You are tuned in to the worldwide headquarters of the most unlikely and extraordinary programs ever broadcast from Janesville, Wisconsin. Due to contractual terms and to impart immunity to our corporate partners, volunteers, and friends from any notions of liability, responsibility, or culpability, please note sentiments and opinions expressed may not necessarily be those of Janesville Community Radio, Inc., program hosts, underwriters, or their collaborators. And this is indeed the aforementioned Janesville Community Radio. Tonight's show is Christ in the City with Ray Jewell. And Ray's guest tonight is Michael Powers, youth pastor from Faith Community Church in Janesville, Wisconsin. And with that, without further to-do or adieu, uh, over to you, Ray. Thanks, Bob. It's good to be back again uh, this evening with Mike Powers from uh, Faith Community Church. Last week we were talking about the events of uh, what's known as Holy Week or Passion Week leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And uh, we wanted to uh, pick up from there, but uh, welcome back, Mike. That's right. 
Okay, so we talked about pretty extensively all the things that happened that week leading up to, including the trial. And uh, I think now we, we wanted to just pick it up from uh, the Via Della Rosa, as it's called by uh, certain people. Uh, that's uh, just the way of suffering, the way to the cross. Yeah, so you've got Pilate washing his hands and, and in essence, people rejecting Jesus Christ as king and saying there's no king but Caesar. And so Pilate sees it's a losing battle and kind of an act of cowardice symbolically washes his hands and says that his blood's not going to be on his hands. And the people say, well, let his blood be on our hands and on the heads of our children. And so Pilate then uh, turns him over uh, there. And so he's just been beaten so severely that most people would have died from the beating. And so his flesh is hanging in ribbons. He hasn't eaten or had anything to drink since the night before, no sleep at all since the night before, and he's ordered to carry a cross beam that probably weighs over 100 pounds uphill about 700 yards. And so, I mean, it's a miracle that he's still alive, and now he's got to place it on his back, you know, with just the open wounds and, and all that, and you've got this splintered wood, you know, hanging across your back. And, uh, you know, he left the glory and majesty of heaven, heaven to come to earth, and now in love and mercy he bears the insults, hatred, and lies of his creation. Um, and so this whole trip again, people are mocking him and, and uh, you know, saying things to him and, and spitting on him and throwing things at him. And it, it just really it gets to the point where I don't know how he went on. And the Bible says that he begins to stagger and that physically his human side of him just cannot handle it anymore and he he goes down you know face face in the dirt and the gravel and and uh i'm i'm, I'm guessing that the human side of him is thinking i can't get back up and okay. the god side of him knows that if he doesn't get back up we're lost for eternity and when we're when i'm teaching this to teens one of the things that i'll try and do is actually get some of their pictures and just put this picture of jesus you know carrying the cross but then put their pictures up next to it and letting them know that the reason he kept getting back to his feet was that he kept thinking of them, that he was thinking of me, and that he knew that if he didn't get back up, if he didn't take one more bloody step, you know, towards this crucifixion that's going to take place at the top of this hill, that again, that you and I are are just lost, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it was uh, certainly. A very agonizing. Uh, words can't even describe. I'm sure what kind of anguish was uh, his in this journey. Now, along the way, as he stumbles, uh, the Roman soldiers sort of commandeer uh, a man to uh, carry the cross for him. A guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene. We really don't know a whole lot about him. Other than that, he's from Cyrene. <laughs> So, but uh, uh, to be pressed into service like that for an execution of an innocent man that uh, probably you know, wasn't something he wanted to do, uh, yet uh, he was forced into doing that. So, Yeah, imagine being side by side with Jesus and how that would have had to have changed his life. Mm-hmm. That short time, because we know, I mean, any any time Jesus comes across somebody and has an encounter with them, it it changes them. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because he physically gets a form he physically can't go on. And, you know, 
needs help uh, to continue to, you know, to carry that up the hill. Right. And it's interesting that in you know hundreds of years before this, there was a um, you know a prophecy written in the Psalms that says, "For dogs have encompassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet." And earlier in his ministry, Christ had said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, um, I will draw all men uh, to myself. And obviously he's said this to show what kind of death he would die. But that's one of the major things. I mean, when you really think about why we can trust the Bible, that hundreds of years before this, prophecy talks about crucifixion. Something that's not going to be invented for hundreds of years, but, you know, mm-hmm. to the last de- detail describes what crucifixion is going to be about. Yeah. Well, it's it's also interesting. The, um, the Jews would not have thought that the Messiah, well, first of all, they didn't think he was going to die a physical death anyway, but especially a death by hanging on the cross because... You know, the, they understood from the Old Testament law that anybody that's hung on a tree is cursed. And to wrap their brains around, you know, like even the disciples, no wonder they were horrified when Jesus was uh, repeatedly predicting that after, you know, that he was going to die, that that was why he had come to this earth, was in order to die. And, uh, you know, so... I can understand somewhat why they didn't hear him say, but after three days I'm going to rise again, because uh, their whole worldview was being uh, completely uh, attacked with this concept of the Messiah dying, especially on a, on a tree. So, that it says two sinners were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. And this was to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah, which says, Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And, you know, the, the, just to be in the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, um, and it says there they offered Jesus, you know, wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And I think that's noteworthy because that would have dulled the pain of mm. what he was going to go through and, and Jesus knew that he had to he had to take the full experience, the full wrath not only of God but the full wrath of these people and what they were going um to do to him. Mm-hmm. And then while he's hanging there they <laughs> they're casting lots for his clothing. And uh, I mean again I just can't imagine you're hanging there naked People are mocking you, and they're gambling for your clothes right at the, the foot of the cross. And yet, that's also a fulfillment of a prophecy that said that that's what they would do. I think it's in the Psalms somewhere, isn't it, where it talks about that, that they they would cast uh, lots for his clothing. And, um, you know, that is just... Uh, well, I mean, crucifixion was meant to be uh, a deterrent to to crime, or in this case, a deterrent to going against the uh, establishment, as Jesus obviously did throughout his ministry. But it's also, you know, meant to be very humiliating, to be very um, 
just put the person down uh, as much as possible, uh, degrading all through and through, and it's not something that uh, you know people would uh, look at. Well, it's so so degrading that it was illegal for the Romans to crucify a Roman. They were they were uh, executed in different ways, in much swifter ways. <laughs> yeah, and this would have been a huge spectacle. Yeah, people would have come from outlying you know, cities and towns. I mean, this would have been a huge deal when someone was crucified. And so you got your mom there, your you know your your sisters, and you've got you know people that love you and are horrified, but the majority of the crowd are people that are, are mocking and, and uh, yeah, I mean, just talk about total humiliation. And the Bible talks about people, you know, coming up to the foot of the cross and literally screaming at him and saying, you know, telling him to save himself and come down from the cross. Uh, and then, you know, of course, the high priest talking about he saved others, but he can't save himself. And just that, I mean, just imagine that mocking mm-hmm. where the irony of it is that he did come down from the cross then we're all lost for eternity. Right. And so the very thing that they were telling him to do to prove that he was God, if he would have done it, would have you know ruined any ha- any hope or chance that we would have had uh, you know to do that. Right. Well, and to add to the crowd, this was during the Jewish Passover, so there was a crowd there. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot more people there than normal. And uh, they could easily have, because uh, I'm sure it was something of interest, especially if, you know, uh, that previous Sunday with the triumphal entry, they knew what was going on. They knew about Jesus. They knew that uh, they may not have known about the, the illegal trial, but I'm sure the word passed quickly. Uh, that, uh, uh, that was the... Uh, that would be uh, similar to our Facebook today, how things can go quickly with uh, with communication, uh, just word of mouth, because you're there, there's an overcrowding of people, and it just spreads like wildfire, that uh, they've, they've condemned this man to die. And, uh, you know, we can go watch this. People seem to have some kind of a sadistic uh, attraction to this kind of thing, you know, it used to it used to be like a, a community event for a hanging in the old west, yeah. and uh, literally bring picnic baskets and sit on the side of the hill and have your lunch while you watch the yeah. hanging or you watch the crucifixion, right? Kind of a deal. And the irony of this too is, again, the, the God of the universe who could have wiped them out with a thought, and He takes the mocking, and instead. He looks to heaven and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, just think of how that would have affected some of those people. You think about the Roman soldier who later, you know, says, surely this was the Son of God, and how that would have affected him mm-hmm. watching this unfold of what probably most people are being crucified or in so much pain they can't say anything, or they're, you know, they're cursing and swearing back at the people who are doing this to them. But he takes it, and he instead ask God to forgive them for, for what they're doing. It's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. It is um, just, you know, we can't even fathom what kind of love and uh, 
just uh, determination and uh, obedience to the Father's will. Um, you know, the, the Scripture says, uh, you know, someone might, a good man might die for his friend. And here we have one that not only is he dying for his friends, he's dying for everybody that ever lived. That uh, and also then to uh, bring about the uh, the recreation of the world. Uh, eventually, that that is going to happen. But the fact that that he it's it's one of the many paradoxes in Scripture that. In dying, Jesus won. You know, we we want to talk about in, in resurrecting Jesus won, and that's true. But in dying, he defeated Satan. He won the victory on the cross. And that's, that's just counterintuitive for us, but it's the way it is. Yeah, and then just, I mean, speaking of the crucifixion itself, I'm just doing some study in that area from a medical doctor's perspective of what would be going on in the crucifixion, um, that it was the most agonizing death a man could face. Mm -hmm. Um, He had to support himself in order to breathe. You know, this idea that that this flaming pain that's caused by the spikes hitting the median nerves in the wrist explodes up his arms into his brain and down his spine, and then the spike burning through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet jerks his body erect. And so literally you have your leg muscles convulsing and driving your body, you know, downward, which would literally have made a crucified person kind of beat their head because of the convulsing, you know, against the the cross beam. And every breath is an agony. This is something that most people, you know, you don't even think about, but the idea that most people died a long, slow, painful death of four to five days, and you would literally asphyxiate because you could not breathe anymore. But this idea that all that weight on your diaphragm and every breath, you would have to push up on this nail through your feet mm-hmm. to release that pressure and take this you know, big, long breath, and then the carbon monoxide starts to build up in your lungs. So every breath, I mean, you think of now, we don't think of our breathing, but if you're hanging on a cross, you are thinking of every you know, painful breath um, that is going. And then it's, the ironic thing, too, is that you know, wood, a hammer, and three nails or what are the tools that are used to kill, you know, uh, the carpenter? Mm-hmm. Um, what would have been something that he would have lovingly handled in his hand and made things out of, that that's what uh, the utensils and uh, the tools that are used for that. And so you've got exhaustion, you've got shock, um, dehydration. That's one thing that's not really talked about a lot, is that the heart would be barely able to pump the thick blood because there's not enough water in the blood. And uh, each of his billions of cells are kind of dying one at a time. Um, And and the Bible describes his physical appearance at this point, that just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, that not only could you not tell that he was Jesus, that you couldn't even tell that he was human at the time. Hmm. And so he's horrible to look upon. The Bible says his mother was there through the whole thing. And imagine what's going through her mind at that moment. And then in the midst of all of this, Jesus looks down and near the cross stands his mother, his mother's sister, um, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, 
And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Beloved, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. In the midst of this horrible pain, he looks down, sees his mom, sees John, and says, basically, John, you need to, you need to take my place now and be, you know, be her, her protector in that. And, uh, and again, his focus is not on himself and what he's going through. Um, instead, it's on you know other people. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, it's always going to be a difficult thing to break into and stuff, but uh, we need to take a break, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Thank you, Ray. You are listening to Being Christ in the City with Ray Jewell, and uh, this is Janesville Community Radio. We are at 321 East. Milwaukee Street in downtown Janesville, Wisconsin, at the My Office JVL building, which is Janesville Community Radio's home studio building. And we have a couple of uh, must plays we have to do in Radio World. And so let's see, uh, let's see what we can find here. Janesville Community Radio. If you can get through the first uh, five seconds of this ad, starts out talking about winter, but then it starts out, talk- then it continues on talking about summer. So we're going to do a few uh, advertisements and public service announcements, and then uh, we'll be back with Being Christ in City with Ray Jewell on Janesville Community Radio. It's winter in Wisconsin, and Snow Removal of Janesville is here to handle all of your snow removal needs. Official snow remover of Janesville Community Radio and my office, JBL. Superior customer satisfaction is Lauren Harrion's top priority. Utilizing his plow truck and snow blower, Lauren will make sure that your driveway and sidewalk is fully taken care of. And when snow melts during the planting season, Lauren will use his John Deere tractor and pull behind AgriFab Tiller to break up virgin soils easily. Utilizing his Ryan aerator, Lauren can pull 3-4 to four inch plugs to promote oxygen and strong grass root growth. Employing his finishing mower allows Lauren to mow your lawn consistently. Allow Lauren and Snow Removal of Janesville to help in achieving all of your snow removal, lawn care, and planting needs. Now accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express. Find Lauren online at www.snowremovalofjanesville.com or call today for a free snow removal, lawn care, or tilling estimate, 608-921-5756. Looking for an opportunity to volunteer in our community? How about volunteering with Janesville Community Radio? Just go to our website. Click on the tab. Volunteer. There, fill out a brief form telling us what your interests and area of expertise are. And we'll be in contact with you shortly. Oh, and one more thing. We need money. To be at 103.5 FM in June of 2015, we need to raise money for a radio tower, transmitter, and studio equipment. Be part of bringing the community radio to Janesville by contributing $10.35 or any amount that you choose to 103.5 FM by going to www.janesvillecommunityradio.com slash donate. Thanks. Are you a small business owner working out of your home? My Office JVL can provide office space to bring a more professional setting to your next meeting. 
Fully furnished offices are available by the hour, day, week, or month. Staffed reception area, copy and fax services, and conference room are also available. Conveniently located at 321 East Milwaukee Street in downtown Janesville. Check out www.myoffice-jvl.com. Looking for an opportunity to volunteer in our community? How about volunteering with Janesville Community Radio? Just go to our website. Click on the tab. Volunteer. There, fill out a brief form telling us what your interests and area of expertise are. And we'll be in contact with you shortly. Oh, and one more thing. We need money. To be at 103.5 FM in June of 2015, we need to raise money for a radio tower, transmitter, and studio equipment. Be part of bringing the community radio to Janesville by contributing $10.35 or any amount that you choose to 103.5 FM by going to www.janesvillecommunityradio.com slash donate. Thanks. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to uh, Being Christ in the City with uh, Ray Jewell. Ray, Ray's guest tonight on Janesville Community Radio is Michael Powers, youth pastor at, at Faith Community Church uh, right here in Janesville, Wisconsin. We do want to thank Michael for coming back. He was here last week. We had a few technical difficulties, 
and we we're very uh, appreciative that he was gracious enough to come back and uh, finish up uh, some of the subjects uh, that uh, were started last week. So uh, once again, Michael, thank you very much for coming back. And with that, I'm going to send you back to Ray Jewell, Being Christ in the City, on Janesville Community Radio. Ray? Thanks, Bob. Yeah, uh, Michael, I do appreciate you being here. I don't know. I call you Mike most of the time, but uh, that doesn't matter, I guess. Um, We're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, and uh, before the program is over tonight, we will certainly get to his resurrection, because when you look at it, those two events are often seen as one event in the rest of the New Testament, uh, when you get into Acts and then the the letters, and uh, just uh, you can't have one without the other when you stop and think about it, because his his death on the cross is powerless if he doesn't rise from the dead. But without his death on the cross, we're still lost in our sins. So uh, that's... uh, sort of an interesting perspective on that. But anyway, so we were talking about uh, just the physical aspects of Jesus dying on a cross. Yeah, and while while that's all happening, you've got the two thieves, you know, that are um, next to him. And the Bible says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And so you have a conversion experience going on right there while Jesus and and this man is hanging on the cross. And it's literally realizing that he is a sinner. And Mm -hmm. he needs to repent of that. And and uh, and then looking towards the one who can save him and and doing that. So you, again, <laughs> he's hanging there, and you got one guy cursing him and you know and, and mocking him. And if you if you can save us, you know, save you, save yourself, save us. And another one is rebuking that guy and saying, "Man, don't you un- don't you get it? Don't you understand what's going on? You and I deserve this." Mm-hmm. And we also see Jesus again thinking of somebody else, not himself. I mean that's that has been a cons- and is a consistent uh, line to the story about Jesus. Uh, he's, you know, even when he was 12 years old, I'm to be about my father's business. But uh, his whole ministry as an adult from 30 or so on is always about serving others. The God of the universe who deserves to be served did not come to be served, but to to serve and to be a ransom for many, and uh, again that that sacrificial suffering, uh, just and servants service that he renders to uh, humanity is just an amazing uh, part of of what we believe and why we believe. Uh, now, if if this is not true. All of it. If the if this is not true, uh, we don't have anything to base our faith on, and that's uh, we would not there would not be a Christ in the City radio program. That's for sure. <laughs> yep. 
And then soon after that, the Bible says that the sky turns pitch black. Imagine this. It's noon. Right. And for three hours, there is total eclipse. I mean, just pitch blackness. And they're lighting torches and lanterns. And again, as you're going through this, and, and I mean, all these things are happening, and, and these soldiers have just got to be thinking, man, this is not any, you know, ordinary man of how just out of nowhere that would have happened. Um, you know, it's, and really at this point, this was the moment that Jesus was dreading most of all, because this was the moment that God is now going to place every single sin that's ever been committed from the time of Adam and Eve until as long as, as God allows history to go on, every single sin is going to be placed, you know, on him. And I think that's why God does the eclipse. I think it's a, you know, a very symbolic but very literal, um, you know, idea of, of signifying the horrible darkness of sin that is being placed on his son um, at that moment. Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound really rude and crude, but the only way that I can think of to describe what that would be like for a sinless being to have even one sin placed on him or inside of him would would be like us going out into our backyards and we have a couple of dogs and you're seeing all that dog manure out there and it would be like having that manure you know placed on you you know stuck up your nose and all that i won't go any farther than that but this i mean I, i don't know of a better way to describe how it would have felt for Jesus to have this sin placed inside of him of you know and then to have God you know have to turn his back on his son because of that sin i once had a young lady that um was coming to our youth group years ago and i remember um just sitting there and talking with her and one of the things that she told me was she said you know people tell me that that Jesus knows exactly how I feel, and that he has been through all the things that any of us as humans could be through. And she said, I don't believe that for a second. And she said, because I'm a drug addict, and don't you dare tell me that somehow Jesus knows how I feel, knows how it feels to want that next fix, knows the guilt that you have because you know what you're doing is wrong. And then thinking about that for a moment and just kind of praying and saying, okay, God, how do you, you know, how do you answer that one? But just obviously that at that moment, every sin was placed on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And because he's an eternal being, in that moment, he would have been able to experience that as if it was in real time. Just like in any moment in earth right now, there could be millions of people praying to God, and he gives them that undivided attention as if it's one-on-one because he, he's outside of time. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, Jesus would have felt what it would have felt like for a drug addict, for any of those people, and what what you know what we've done, he would have felt it. And I could honestly look her in the eye and say, "No, Jesus knows exactly how you feel." And and explaining that to her, and just seeing that difference in her face of knowing that you know that Jesus is the great High Priest in the order of Melchizedek that, that knows exactly and has been through everything you know, that we would go through mm-hmm. here on earth. And it's at that point that the Bible says that Jesus screams out, you know, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me or abandoned me? And again, I, I would say, in my opinion, I think that that it really was this communion of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that they've had for eternity. And this was the moment 
when Jesus was ripped out of that unity because of that sin that was placed on him, and God turns his back on his son. And that's the moment that Jesus was dreading most of all. It wasn't the pain, the physical pain. It was the pain of not only that sin placed on you, but of, of the Father for the first time feeling that loneliness, feeling that separation um, from God. And just like you and I would be, there are times in our life when we don't feel like, you know, God's there, mm-hmm. or that he, you know, cares, um, you know, in that idea. And then, literally, the Bible says that God poured his wrath out on his son, that all this wrath that we have been storing up for judgment, the Bible says that it pleased God to pour his wrath on his son. So that payment that you and I would have to pay for all eternity was being placed on his son at that moment. That, to me, is the worst part of the entire crucifixion story. Mm-hmm. That very moment when that wrath, that punishment was poured out on his son. And so the, you know, what you're saying is we have two options as human beings. We can accept this unbelievable gift or we can reject the gift and suffer the consequences that Jesus suffered for us on the cross throughout eternity. You know, that eternal separation, uh, being in darkness, um, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, you know, uh, it's the ultimate of getting what you want. You wanted to be left alone, and God will leave you alone in those situations. So that's why it's a good thing. And that's why we call it Good Friday, even though it was the most horrendous thing that's ever happened. When you stop and think about it, it's the the greatest thing that ever happened um, because um, Jesus did that suffering in our place, and that's huge. So you've got the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, no more animal sacrifices to cover over sins. This blood removes sins. Mm-hmm. And then it says, and when Jesus had cried out, you know, again in a loud voice, and, you know, and obviously right before this, he says those three amazing words, it is finished or it is accomplished. Mm-hmm. The idea that, so that, you know, that everything that God had set before him to do, it was now done. Right. And that's, you know, if you're there that day, from a lower story perspective, from a human mindset, when he screams out, it is finished, you think it's over. His life is done. That's what he means. That's what's happened. He's dead. He's gone. The the Jewish religious leaders are uh, cheerful about that, cheering that, uh, probably gloating somewhat. You know, we've taken care of our arch enemy. His followers are, you know, they they jump, they dive into a deep depression, uh, confusion. How did this happen? Everything was going so good, and now he's dead. What are we going to do? I mean, that's that's what we see after his death. The 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 in between time between, you know, when he dies and before he's resurrected, we see. You know the the Jewish leaders are concerned about 
the disciples stealing the body. The disciples are hiding because you know they think they could be next. So it's all playing out in a lower story perspective, not God's upper story. When in reality, Jesus, you know, this is the first step in what Jesus said he was going to happen, and but it's not the end of the story. And that's the that's the the uh, wonderful thing. That's the amazing thing. And then the Bible says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Another gospel writes it this way, and with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And then it says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw that he had died with such a cry, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And again, I believe another conversion experience, you know, takes place, you know, right there. Now, this is what's interesting to me, is that there was apparently no evidence that death was near when his life was suddenly and unexpectedly terminated. Uh, Crucifixion always caused a long, slow, and lingering death in which the victim grew weaker and weaker until he became unconscious. And even with all the torture, there's no way that Jesus should have died so soon. Um, And like we said before, sometimes they're up on the cross for three or four days. And so it was an unheard of thing for a crucified person to die within two or three days unless death was hastened by other means. And so... What I want to focus on now is that is that Jesus died very suddenly in the midst of terrible agony of mind and spirit. And what I'm going to propose is that when all that sin was placed on him and when the Father has to turn his back and, and separate them from you know that unity, I believe that literally Jesus' heart just exploded in his chest. And as I started to look that up you know, medically and scientifically, that that is, there are times when people's hearts just explode and they give a loud cry and they would grasp their chest. And obviously on the cross, he's not going to be able to, to grasp his chest. Um, but one of the reasons that I would say that is, is uh, in Psalms, it says this, uh, For evils beyond number have surrounded me. Iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I, I mean, I could be reading into this, but it just seems to me that at that moment, you know, he says it is finished and, and all that's going on, that literally his heart, you know, just explodes. Well, another thing that points to that is they wanted these these uh, people on the cross to die because it was approaching Sabbath and they were going to break Jesus' legs. They went and they broke the uh, the two thieves' legs, but they didn't break Jesus' legs. They thrust a spear into his side, and it, out, it came out blood mixed with water, which is the sign of death of mm-hmm. heart bursting. So that uh, that is, uh, and again, that's a fulfillment of a prophecy. Uh, again, I think in the Book of Psalms, where it talks about uh, none of his bones would be broken. And so that. And so, why did they want to break the legs? To cause the death. Yeah. Can't yeah. You can't breathe. Anymore. Yeah, you can't push up and breathe. So. Of which they did to the two next to him. And right. They come to Jesus, and they're they take, they're ready to take this big swing, and and they are like, "Whoa, he's dead already." Yeah. In fact, it says that Pilate, you know, was um, shocked, you know, that he was already dead, and uh, and, and then again, you know, it talks about you know, doing, uh, putting the spear into his side and that. Um, 
And again, I do think that that's the most convincing evidence that he died, you know, died of that heart rupture. Um, another thing that is always kind of just hit things home to me as you think about that of why he screams out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I, here's why I think so that you and I would not have to scream out those words in eternity. Mm-hmm. That when we've come to the end of our life, that if we take our sins to our casket and we don't allow Jesus to, to forgive those sins and repent of those sins and, and give our lives to him, of that feeling of being separated from God in a place called hell and screaming out those words, you know, dear God, why have you abandoned me? And knowing the answer to it is because of a choice or a decision that we have made. And mm-hmm. So in my mind, Jesus screaming out those words, and I don't have to scream out those words mm-hmm. in the future because of, of what he did, you know, on the cross. Okay, well, it's time for another break, and uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Mike Powers as we start shifting our focus from the cross to the resurrection. Go ahead, Bob. Thank you, Ray. You're listening to Being Christ in the City with the aforementioned Ray Jewell, and we are uh, live at 321 East Milwaukee Street in downtown Janesville, Wisconsin, which is Janesville Community Radio's home studio that is at the my office JVO building just down from the new fire station construction uh, about a block up the hill on East Milwaukee Street let's play a few more of these public service announcements uh, we call them public service announcements not advertisements because we are uh, we are a nonprofit James with community radio all right let's see what we can find here It's winter in Wisconsin, and Snow Removal of Janesville is here to handle all of your snow removal needs. Official snow remover of Janesville Community Radio and My Office JBL. Superior customer satisfaction is Lauren Harrion's top priority. Utilizing his plow truck and snow blower, Lauren will make sure that your driveway and sidewalk is fully taken care of. And when snow melts during the planting season, Lauren will use his John Deere tractor and pull behind... Agrifab Tiller to break up virgin soil easily. Utilizing his Ryan aerator, Lauren can pull 3 to 4 inch plugs to promote oxygen and strong grass root growth. Employing his finishing mower allows Lauren to mow your lawn consistently. Allow Lauren and Snow Removal of Janesville to help in achieving all of your snow removal, lawn care, and planting needs. Now accepting Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express. Find Lauren online at www.snowremovalofjanesville.com or call today for a free snow removal, lawn care, or tilling estimate, 608-921-5756. Are you a small business owner working out of your home? My Office JVL can provide office space to bring a more professional setting to your next meeting. Fully furnished offices are available by the hour, day, week, or month. Staffed reception area, copy and fax services, and conference room are also available. Conveniently located at 321 East Milwaukee Street in downtown Janesville. Check out www.myoffice-jvl.com. 
Looking for an opportunity to volunteer in our community? How about volunteering with Janesville Community Radio? Just go to our website. Click on the tab. Volunteer. There, fill out a brief form telling us what your interests and area of expertise are. And we'll be in contact with you shortly. Oh, and one more thing. We need money. To be at 103.5 FM in June of 2015, we need to raise money for a radio tower, transmitter, and studio equipment. Be part of bringing the community radio to Janesville by contributing $10.35 or any amount that you choose to 103.5 FM by going to www.janesvillecommunityradio.com slash donate. Thanks. Uh, we should also mention that this evening, 
April 9th, 2015, uh, we are under some severe weather here in southern Wisconsin. Severe weather warnings. We can hear the thunder outside the studio and the lightning. Uh, haven't gotten hit too bad here in Janesville, Wisconsin, but you might want to be uh, on the lookout for the bad weather. So we probably want to mention that reality. And with that, uh, I will turn you back over to Ray Jewell. Thanks, Bob. So uh, we're talking about the events that uh, happened on the cross, but there were some uh, pretty amazing things that happened away from the cross at the time that Jesus died. So let's let's go to that those things now, Mike. Yeah, the Bible says that at the moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, only God could have carried out such an incredible feat because the veil was way too high for human hands to have reached it and way too thick to have torn it. The curtain was 60 feet in height, 30 feet in width, and was 4 inches thick. Furthermore, I mean, it was torn from top down. I mean, the act must have come from above. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus said that the veil was um, not only 4 inches thick, but that horses tied to each side could not pull the veil apart. Um, I mean, as the veil is torn, the Holy of Holies is exposed. And it's symbolic because now God is accessible to everyone through his son, Jesus Christ. No longer do you have to go through a high priest. And now, shocking as this may have been to the priest ministering in the temple that day, um, it's good news to us as believers because Jesus' death has atoned for our sins and made us right before God. And so that torn veil is Jesus' broken body, and it opens the way to come to God. And so as Jesus cries out, it's finished on the cross, he is indeed proclaiming that God's redemptive plan was now complete. And it's not just for the Jews anymore. Uh, not that it ever was completely meant to be for the Jews, but that's what it had become. And now it's for anyone and everyone. Jesus has broken down the walls, the barriers that uh, mankind has put in place. And you know, the, one the the greatest barrier in that day was this Jew-Gentile thing. But I think that that message has a lot to be said for us today, uh, whether it's a, a racial barrier or an economic barrier or an ethnic barrier, whatever barriers we like to put up around ourselves uh, with other people, Jesus tears those walls down uh, in, in uh, his death on the cross and through his resurrection, which we're going to get to here in a bit. Uh, he destroys walls. Yeah, and it says in Hebrews, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith. But another interesting thing is that the veil was rent at the very hour of the evening sacrifice. So at the very hour that the Passover lambs were being slain, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And at that moment, Jesus cries, it is finished. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. And again, I just it just amazes me the detail of God, of why he put certain things into his word and just, you know, just that connecting all the dots because he's God and, and can do that. Um, but there's just so many things that are tied together, you know, in those areas. And one of the, one of the clearest um, types of Jesus throughout this is he is the the Passover lamb 
Uh, it's during Passover. He's the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And uh, you know, Scripture is clear of, of, the, of that uh, in the Old Testament where that, that Lamb uh, is uh, a type of Christ when he dies on the cross. And we see that imagery run throughout the rest of the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation. Worthy is the lamb that was slain? Um, because he's alive. And that uh, is crucial to, to our message and to our understanding uh, when it comes to discussing what it, what it means to be a Christian. See, there's nothing that we can do except accept accept this gift from from God the this sacrificial lamb uh, Jesus uh, you know, we need to accept that yeah and, and then so you got that going on and then the bible says that the earth shook so there's literally an earthquake as the rocks split and the tombs broke open and that the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So again, <laughs> some really amazing things happening that you could be sitting in your house and there's a knock at the door or somebody who had died previously just walks up to you fully healed, fully back in their, in their body and uh, appearing to you. Um, just, you know, absolutely amazing and crazy stuff that's that's all taking place, you know, at that time. And Jesus, you know, we talked about the raising of Lazarus last week. So Jesus sort of predicted that this was a possibility by doing that very act with Lazarus. Now, just want everybody to understand, Lazarus and everybody that raised on that day, they would die again. But it was still a sign of here is somebody that is all so powerful that he's changed the course of natural human events through this act of dying on the cross. And we're not even to the resurrection yet of Jesus, but uh, just by his death, things start turning back to the way God intended them to be. Yeah, and then we come to the burial of Jesus. The Bible says that later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he had feared the Jewish leaders. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. And he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus had brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds worth. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen and this was in accordance with Jewish you know, burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And so, the other interesting thing is, the Bible mentions the women that are there, and mentions the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John was there, but everybody else, all the other men, are in hiding. They've all abandoned Jesus. Um, they can't, you know, still can't believe that he's gone and dead. And so, um, you know, and then, and at this moment too, of Satan thinking he's won. Oh yeah. I mean, 
imagine the celebration that's going on there. He now thinks he has control of the world. The promised redeemer is dead. This promised redeemer that was, you know, 4,000 years before this, that was promised to come through Eve and Satan. All through the Old Testament, you see the many times, you know, Abraham and Sarah. You know, Satan tries to get another king to take Sarah as, as a wife and, and try and, you know, mess up that line, that lineage. Um, I mean, just so many times that, you know, even when, when Jesus was two years old and Herod tries to have all the, the, the babies and the toddlers killed. I mean, he's been trying so long to kill this Redeemer, and he's finally done it. And really, I mean, spiritually speaking, this is the darkest days in the history of the universe. I mean, it seems like all hope is lost. Satan and demons are celebrating big time. Um, but... This is Friday. <laughs> and we need to give Tony Campolo a, a shout out for that little statement. That's a sermon that he had uh, he preached uh, several years ago now. But it's a very true statement that that um, you know the story is not over. Even though Jesus is dead and buried, it's not over. Now. Some things happen. The Jewish leaders, they they don't trust the disciples to leave the body alone. We've already said that the, the, the disciples are hiding. They're in the upper room, probably where they were just a couple of nights before Thursday evening uh, with the Last Supper and, and all that. But the Jewish religious leaders go to Pilate and they ask permission to seal the tomb because they're afraid that the disciples will carry out Jesus' predictions. Yeah, and that's putting Roman guards there and putting that seal on it. And man, you break that seal and it's under penalty of death. Right. And if you fall asleep on duty, it's under penalty of death. And so they're they're taking this very seriously. Yeah. I mean, what a they don't want any issues or problems if the disciples come and steal the body and you know, or whatever and, and that and so they go to great lengths to make sure that, that he's gonna stay in that tomb. Yep, that's uh, the way it happens. So are we ready to move now to yeah. Sunday morning, are we? Morning. All right. Because Sunday morning starts off with the women that that saw where Jesus was laid coming to the tomb in order to take care of the rites, uh, burial rites, and take care of applying the the perfumes and alms or whatever that they were going to do. And yet, the Bible says, as they're approaching the tomb, there's another earthquake. That's interesting. And again, it's the faithful women who all along have been there. Um, They're the ones who God gives the honor to receive the news that Jesus has been resurrected and to see Jesus first. And it's one of those reasons, too, of, of why you can trust that the Bible is God's word. Because if man had written this, if this is a myth, if, if the disciples are lying about this, if you really can't trust the Bible, if it was just a bunch of men putting this together, there was no way that they would have women be the first ones to give testimony of Jesus. Because in their culture, a woman's testimony would not be accepted in a court of law. Right. So if you're going to make this up and 
kind of do this with the story, you would never have the women be the first ones. But because that's exactly what happened, and it's true. Um, again, it's just one of those one of those things that you can point to and see that that uh, you know that it was written by God and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and not by men. And it's interesting to see what you know the different. There's four gospels; they all have an account of this, and they they provide us a different perspective on what happened that day. But John talks about you know Mary Magdalene and another Mary were there. The tomb is empty. They go back to the upper room to tell the disciples. Peter and John, or the disciple whom Jesus loved, ran to the tomb. John outran Peter. Uh, just I would assume because John's a younger guy. Uh, they get there. John does not go in. It's into the cave. Uh, but Peter runs in there, and they see the the uh, grave clothes lying there. And there's no body, but they still don't quite get it. They don't understand that Jesus is alive. Um, Mary comes back. Mary Magdalene comes back. And she looks into the tomb, and uh, she sees angels. And then uh, pick it up from there, Mike. Yeah. Um, says, uh, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. And behold, I have told you. And then to find out later that, you know, Jesus is walking side by side with them and talking to them, and they think he's the gardener. And uh, and again, I just to be there at that moment when it hits them, Mm-hmm. This is not the gardener. This is Jesus Christ, and he has raised, you know, from the dead. And Mary, according to John, the Gospel of John, Mary did not recognize him. And, I mean, he said stuff to her, but when he said her name, that's when her eyes were opened and she, you know, worshipped him. And then he just, you know, uh, and she had, you know, like you said earlier, the the honor of being the first uh, witness to share the news, the good news that Jesus is alive with the others. And uh, they still really didn't believe. But in the meantime, a couple of the disciples decide it's time to go home to Emmaus. And you know, some would say it was two guys. Some would say it's uh, uh, Clopas and his wife, who we know from one of the other Gospels is Mary, going back home. And they're discussing this on the road about what's happened. And then the stranger comes up beside them and what's going on? And they're like, where have you been? You know, don't you know? And in reality, since this is Jesus, he knows better than they do what's been going on. He's just trying to get them to see. But that's that that's always one of my favorite resurrection appearance stories. Yeah, wouldn't you have liked to have been on that walk? Because the Bible says that Jesus took them all through the Old Testament 
and just all those things that pointed towards him, all the prophecies, and, and just gave them basically a 101 on death and resurrection of what he said he was going to do. And uh, and then, poof, he's gone. After he breaks the bread, you know, again, they they said after after he reveals himself to them, wasn't our hearts warmed by the by the conversation by his teaching, and yet they still didn't recognize him uh, until he sat down and he broke bread, and then and the thing about it, this is it's late. You know, that's the reason they invited the the stranger to to come and stay with him because it was late. There was uh, no, you know. It was a, a hospitable thing to uh, be able to host somebody overnight. And it wasn't until they got down to breaking the bread that they recognized it. And, you know, I'm sorry, but those guys, or whoever, if it was uh, husband and wife, I would thought, you know, I mean, they must have been tired. And yet, what do they do? They run back to Jerusalem, the seven-mile Track that they just had completed one way to share the good news. Well, the whole resurrection is it's unbelievable, except it's historical that for makes it believable. But there's other other things. If you want to just share it, because my wife is handing me notes and stuff, and she understands where what her direction was. Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to talk about the differences and similarities between the mortal body and the final resurrection body. Okay, well, we'll get there. Hurry up, because you need a watch or something. Ah, okay. So, we might experience a little heaven ourselves right now. <laughs> But the the thing, the other resurrection appearance is is a beautiful one. It's recorded in John chapter twenty one. You want to talk about that one, or you know you know what I mean, right? Um, no, go ahead. Okay, the the fishing. Oh yeah. The so we got uh, yeah Peter. Literally, the disciples are Jesus is dead. We're gonna have to go back to our you know regular lives, what we were doing before, and all they know is fishing. And so they go back to what's comfortable to them and what they know. And while they're in the boat, they look out and they see somebody on the shore. And Peter, I think, recognizes, whoa, this could be Jesus. And he doesn't even wait for the boat to get back to shore. He dives in and swims to shore. And uh, and it's Jesus. And um, to prove that he's not a ghost to them, he's broiled some fish and that. And he, you know, he basically says, could a ghost do this? And he, and he actually... Eats, which gives me great hope that in heaven, <laughs> in heaven. there's going to be food. <laughs> and it won't be junk food; it'll be organic. Yeah, but it, you know, I mean, it's, Jesus is—that's the only um, indication we have of what a glorified body is going to be like. And the fact that he, uh, you know, eats food is uh, pretty yeah. amazing. And that he appeared in the room without yeah. a locked room. Yeah, there's there's several other things that we could talk about with that. But the, the the neat thing is the way that Jesus um, reinstates Peter in, into the fellowship. Because Peter denied him. 
And and I can imagine that for that very first night when Jesus appeared to them all, Peter probably just sort of stayed in the background because you know he's feeling like you know timid. And I blew it, and I don't know what to say to him. I'm glad he's back, but I'm scared. Well, in this instance, uh, when they are fishing, and 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 Peter runs in, and 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 Jesus basically lovingly says, "You know, um, do you believe in me?" And yes, Lord, I know. And then feed my sheep. So he, he reinstates him because it does the three times, just like Peter denied him three times. And he gives him a job to do. You know, feed my sheep. See, that's the thing. This. This is the the rest of the story is the resurrection's not just and the crucifixion's not just about me. It's about everybody else and and my responsibility doesn't end with me as a believer in Jesus. I have a responsibility to feed his lambs, to feed his sheep, to to share this good news that will that that ultimately is a life changer. Okay, you wanted to say something, dear? Yeah, just that, um, obviously, like we said before, that when these people rose from the dead or were raised from the dead, Lazarus, and then the people on the resurrection uh, weekend there, um, they were raised back to their mortal bodies. They had to die again. But Jesus was the firstborn from the dead to a an immortal body that he would never die again and that's the kind of body that we as believers will get when we are raised from the dead someday and so you know he he had abilities then that he wasn't restrained by some of the, the right, right. you know physical encumbrances of the mortal body but and then the bible says we won't have tears or pain in heaven and we will be but we will be ourselves just like he was his recognizable self and they could touch him and he could eat and it could be with him and so it's a wonderful thought that we will be ourselves but not the selves that are problematic well, or the selves that were and that's a that's a whole another possible thing. talk sometime but I I just want to give my little thing that I say I want I want on my grave someday stone gravestone. This grave will only be temporarily occupied. All right. So with that, actually I, I have a, a programming note to share with everybody before we finish. Um, Janesville Community Radio is going through some major changes. Uh, we are going to be broadcasting Beloit Snapper games uh, this year, some of their home games, 40 of their home games. And uh, so because of contractual reasons with them, uh, our time slot, our normal time slot on Thursday evening is sort of uh, preempted, which is okay, because now we will begin uh, doing Christ in the City on Tuesday evenings from 6 o'clock until 8 o'clock. Um, uh, that will start on April 21st. So we're going to have a week and a half off from uh, doing a program here. But April 21st, you can start listening in on Tuesday nights, and uh, 
course, we'll still be posting uh, the program on our uh, Facebook page and uh, other avenues. So I want to thank you all for tuning in tonight. Thank you, Michael, for being here two weeks in a row for us. And uh, just pray that uh, God will continue to bless you and uh, your ministry. Uh, I know you've you touched a lot of a lot of young people's lives over the years, and we're so grateful for that. So we're going to sign off, and thank you all for turning in tonight. You've been listening to Janesville Community Radio, live at 321 East Milwaukee Street. Uh, do be sure to take due regard with the weather this evening. On uh, April 9, 2015, we are under severe weather watch uh, in a lot of uh, the uh, southern Wisconsin, northern Illinois area. Uh, it is moving through our area right now as we speak at uh, approximately 25 minutes, 26 minutes after 7 Central Time uh, in Janesville, Wisconsin. Uh, so do do uh, have some due regard uh, for that. One of our first major uh, bad weather episodes of spring 2015. And with that, uh, we'll say good evening and thank you for... Uh, for listening, uh, being Christ in the City with Ray Jewell on Janesville Community Radio, and uh, as I'm, I'm kind of scrolling here looking for our music because uh, the uh, severe weather kind of got me off the track here. Let's uh, since we were since the theme tonight was uh, had a great deal to do with Jesus. Uh, this is Sherry Norquay, who was gracious enough to let us use uh, an album of hers, uh, gospel singer from. Uh, Nashville. This is Tell Me Jesus. Good night, everybody. Uh, you've been listening to Jan- uh, Being Christ in City with Rachel on Janesville Community Radio. <laughs>